Hello and welcome to this, the first ever episode of the podcast. My name is Grace and I've taken some time out of my busy schedule of making a Morris dancer's outfit for a party I'm going to, to talk to you about something really, really important. Who framed the good cop? That's right friends, today we're discussing the first ever episode of The Good Cop. So let's jump right in with a summary, because if there's one thing you know about me, it's that I love a summary. Summaries are literally how I passed my degree. In a land of myth and a time of magic, the destiny of a great kingdom rests on the shoulders of a young boy. His name? Grobe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the actual, this is the actual summary. Josh Groban's name is actually Tony Caruso, and he's a police officer, detective-ish person who lives with his ex-cop father, who is unsurprisingly called Tony Caruso Sr. Tony Caruso Sr.'s on parole when his arch nemesis or ex-colleague or, or, or like just someone that he worked with and didn't like is shot and killed. But, plot twist, the bullet can only have come from his son's gun, so now everyone suspects one of them. Obviously it's not the man that cannot even run a red light, so it must be the man who publicly threatened the sexy dead man's life. I hope you're with me so far. Chaos ensues, everyone doubts Tony Senior, but surprise, it wasn't him that killed anyone. The killer was actually Sexy Mustache's wife who's having an affair with another police officer, and they framed him using bullets which Josh Groban, whose name is really Tony Caruso Jr., fired at a target during target practice. So that's 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 the episode. <laughs> Let's get into it. So, first scene, we're at a gun range. And there's like a 30-something second long montage of just someone shooting. And it's super intense, and they have some really solid, like, 2010 graphics of, like, a bullet flying in slow motion, and you see the, like, air swirling behind it, like, Matrix style. So we're all thinking, who is this sexy, mysterious man with a very well-fitted bomber jacket and the 3D glasses you got from the cinema in the early 2010s? And there are, like, close-ups on his gun, and he's hitting the shit out of the target and then we think we can't get any wetter and we focus the camera and bam it's josh groban kindest eyes in the biz looking just so pleased with himself just just so pleased with his and he's he's done a good job as well he got 982 which is a range record we find out straight straight away we're we're introduced to this rivalry between this father and son, Josh Groban and his father, because the man on duty says the highest his father ever got was 800 and he definitely cheated. Then we cut to the next scene, which is uh, just a nightmare of cliche. Josh Groban and his father are in the car waiting at a traffic light. The light's on red, but Tony Caruso Sr. keeps being like, oh, it's broken, just run it. And Josh Groban's like, oh no, I'm not gonna run it. I'm just the soyiest boy you've ever met. They're in this car and they start discussing like why he wasn't a better father, which is quite a lot pretty early on, but it's, you just, you just gotta, you gotta give into it. And basically the scene is meant to kind of tell us that if Tony Senior had been there for his son to watch him win Boy Scout medals or boys badges, do they get badges or I, but like specifically for shooting, like for shooting guns, like the, this is what's under discussion right now. And I was like, 
what even is America anymore? Because I did, or maybe this is like a, has always been America, and I just never noticed. But I don't think like shooting is a a children thing. When I did brownies and I did rainbows, both of those I think are probably like an equivalent to the Boy Scouts. Oh no. Hmm. Brownies and Rainbows is like the female version, so it's probably like Girl Scouts. But like in Brownies and Rainbows, I learned so many skills, like making art out of glass and how to collect badges and decorate biscuits, you know, life skills. I was like, what are, what are, what are people learning as Boy Scouts? Also, do you have to be a boy to be in the Boy Scouts? I don't know. Could I have looked it up? Yeah. Did I? No. Did I instead use my internet time to look at the different gun-related badges you could get in America? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Number one, Master at Arms Activity Badge. If you've come- oh, these are all from the the website of the Boy Scouts, which by the way, lovely design, really easy to use, congratulations on that, like, I love it for you, good job. Master at Arms activity badge. Why does it sound like something Henry VIII got? If you've completed the NSRA, if you've completed the NSRA youth proficiency scheme in air rifle or air pistol shooting, you automatically earn this badge. I don't know why those two things are different, but I, I trust that they are. If you, like me, haven't completed the NSRA youth proficiency scheme in air rifle or air pistol shooting, you need to do the following. One, attend regular training sessions in relevant activities like fencing, shooting or archery. For the purposes of Josh Groban, we're talking about shooting. Show how you've improved in technique. You should train for at least six sessions. They don't say how long the sessions have to be. They could be like 10 minutes a pop. It'd be great. You could get it done in an hour. The second thing you need to do is learn the safety rules associated with your activity and show how to follow them. That probably happens, hopefully, while you're training. And so the third thing is take part in your chosen activity in an officially supervised contest. Afterwards, talk to the instructor about your performance and how you can improve. So just you just have to do, do some shooting. That's all you got. So... Tony Caruso Jr. is angry at Tony Caruso Sr. for for not coming to see him shoot sometimes. Um, the other one you can get, the other Boy Scouts badge you can get, because I'm not done talking about this yet, is the Sports Enthusiast Activity Badge, which is different. And this badge is for watching the sport or knowing something about it. If you want to earn this badge, you've got to do the following. Explain the rules governing your favourite sport. Describe the levels of achievement within your chosen sport locally, nationally or internationally. Show that you know some of the personalities, champions or other experts in your chosen sport. Explain how they might have inspired you. Talk about the equipment needed for the sport. Describe a recent major event, championship or landmark in the sport. Explain how you follow your sport. How do you keep up to date with developments? These badges are bullshit. Josh Groban is in the wrong here. Tony Caruso Sr. was an important man. He had red lights to run and people to kill, potentially. I didn't... It's just, it's an odd it's an odd TV show, I'll tell you that much. And I think he killed people. I think that's the implication of, of some of the scenes. But we'll get into that. Um, because we're still on the opening scenes. Okay, so we know... 
Tony Caruso Sr. didn't turn up to anything because he's a bad dad. Ah! Bad dad. And now they're talking about him as a ah! bad dad doing bad dad things. For example, talking to Chet Finch, who has a great name, which breaks his parole because the two men used to work together. If he's breaking his parole, and Josh Groban is meant to be like the most follow-y, follow the rules kind of following person, why hasn't he reported his dad? His dad's like breaking parole, like he could... I, it's just it's a lot it's a it's a big and but i guess it's his dad so we'll give him a free pass on this but that just that comes up over and over again and it's it's very very weird oh and then we end with this massive cliche moment which is um they finish having this very intense car conversation and tony caruso senior really wants to move the car not just in a general sense he could probably do that he want they want he wants the car to move is what i was trying to say there he said he says this what do you think running this red light is gonna turn you into me and then we cut to the intro (laughs) which i just it's quite on the nose if nothing else yeah i'll talk about the intro a little bit it's just a cute little song it's sung by tony danza i couldn't find the name of the song or the real credits but i didn't look that hard i think it was written by andy breckman who's the creator of the show there is a lyric that says Anthony, you're all I got. No man can untie that knot. Which does make it seem a bit like they're married, but I'm gonna move past it because, you know, what else could possibly rhyme with got apart from not? She's stupid. So we're back into the story, into the next scene. And there's skateboarders skateboarding on some kind of like high-tech skateboard that has like lights on the front of it. It like looks a little bit ET-esque. And these dickheads on very expensive skateboards like fully assault some random jogger that's just like jogging ahead of them. And then, because this show believes in strong karma, one of them falls down a hill and finds a dead body. And I'm gonna just play the audio for you for this because I understand needing the continuity of like sounds, right? But the juxtaposition of the piano with what's happening in the scene is so intense and it 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 it's just incredible so i just you need to listen to it hey i'll see you down there i'll see you down there (laughs) that's the whole scene that's all that happens in that scene just like some intense voice acting and some piano and some weird skateboards next scene Josh Groban is in his cocoon form at home and his alarm goes off and for some reason it's the girl from Ipanema, which I actually really like. I love it as a bit. I think it's cute. And then he opens his drawer and gets out his gun, which like is not the first thing anyone should do of a morning. But whatever, we it's important for the plot. I get it. So we move to the kitchen and Tony Caruso Sr. is up and about making some breakfast. We hear him on the phone say, I love you, man, you don't have to say it back, which I love. I think it's very sweet. And this whole scene is quite sweet. It's all about like father-son relationships and stuff like that. But there are are a couple of things, just just a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. The first one is um, Josh Groban was born in 1981, which makes him 38. We'll assume his character is also 38 years old. He makes breakfast for himself and it is just a piece of toast a piece of white bread 
toasted. No butter. No, no, no toppings. No, nothing. Just a piece of bread. That's sad. This man does not know how to look after himself. Or is he just that beige as a person? Like, he's just that boring. That he just... What do you want for breakfast on this lovely day? You've got a full day of looking for a murderer ahead of you. What do you want for breakfast? One piece of dry white toast. I think that's disappointing. I expected better of Josh Groban. And then there's this whole bit about Josh Groban not wanting to use, like, sugar in a sugar packet because it came from a cafe. I don't care. But at the end of the scene, Caruso gets a phone call. Josh Groban gets a phone call. Oh, it's he's got a case. We hear for the first time the line, wear your vest, which I think is genuinely wholesome, good content next scene. Okay, so we're at the crime scene. Detective Loomis is in his car. He's asleep. This is a thing about this character, right? He's one of the only black characters in the series and his whole thing is that he is lazy. I think that that's a little bit racist, maybe. Not on, like, if he was just one character of many, like you were giving lots of different representations, like, then it would just be a character thing. But there is, like, a historical precedent of calling black people lazy and, like, that is a, a TV trope that we should, I think, try and avoid. But the good cop obviously doesn't care. It's too badass for this shit. Detective Loomis. I think maybe the reason they gave him this character is just for this sick fucking burn that Josh Groban lays on him. <laughs> because he's sleeping in his car. Josh Groban comes up and is like, that's an infraction. They'll take your badge. And Burrell goes, oh no, I'd have to retire early. And Josh Groban goes... Let me ask you something. When you do finally retire, how will anyone know? that make you feel? What? That's fucking fire coming out of Josh Groban right now. He is... That's, that's some good shit right there. That's what I just... That shade is all I'm looking for. That's all I'm looking for. Just some personality. <laughs> a joke in this comedy series. It's all, it's all I'm asking for. Um, okay. So then they have to go up a hill. Burrell complains about it. Josh Groban does some like basic police work, including telling them what time he probably died. This person in, in the bag, the dead body, which... That's the coroner's job. Don't ask Josh Groban for that. He's the detective. He's there to figure out who did it, not when it happened. That's just a personal thing for me. I feel like I've watched enough NCIS and CSI and all that shit to know that the coroner tells you how long the person's been dead. Either that or, like, if, you, if you're actually going to defer to a detective on it, why are you asking Josh Groban? Like, why is Burrell asking Josh Groban? Because surely they have the same training, they're the same rank of detective. I don't, I don't understand. I just, it really, I just don't understand what's going on with this scene and it hurts my feelings. And then we cut to the next scene. Detective Vasquez drives in in her, like, red car and opens the door and, like, there's some breeze and she, like, swishes her hair and then just walking with so much purpose for some reason she puts a bin over a fire hydrant i don't know what that's about but she gets a dirty look from the neighbor and she does not care because she is in charge she then walks straight into the house without knocking 
and whips Tony Caruso Sr. with a tea towel, which I don't know where she got it from. She explains she's there because Tony Caruso showed up to this job interview he had for the lumberyard and um, then just left because Julie Buttons is the wife of the man that owns it and he has fucked Julie Buttons. And that is like the whole thing. That is the reason that he now only has three weeks to find a job. Um, so then they like banter back and forth for a bit about the fact that he's only got three weeks to find a job before like his parole runs out or whatever. Then Detective Vasquez goes over and um, her name's Cora, Cora Vasquez. She goes over to where all the pictures are and there's a framed picture of Josh Groban looking so sweet with some mountains. And um, there's also this picture of the sexy moustache man whose name we learn is Jack Livingston. And the reason that this random like work ID picture, like it's just, it's him with his uniform on it. It's, it's the age of the internet, you know? Um, the reason he has that there, we learn, is as a reminder to outlive that creep. That's what he says. He keeps him on his mantelpiece as a reminder that he's still alive. And then we cut back to the crime scene and we see Josh Groban cutting the black bin bag that's over the dead man's face. And we see, bam, it's Jack Livingston, sexy moustache man. We've got our case. Cut to the police station. This is the first time we see the police station. And it's a weird building. Like just the, the as a set, it's like cabins inside a hall. I don't, I don't know why they picked it as the set it just doesn't make but it's it is what it is so they're they're in there doing their thing being police people we start off with another sexy woman in charge she's got a great accent she's a captain and she's talking to the actress who played paula in the broadway original musical legally blonde the musical which it's a very intense conversation um because this woman paula from legally blonde is not happy that her husband is dead. She is Jack Livingston's wife. Jack Livingston was the one that leaked the all the corruption that was going on within the, the police precinct. He became a very unpopular person, which you kind of expect, you know? You know what you're getting yourself in for in these situations, but he, I think he did the right thing. We're not here to talk about Jack Livingston. So then the wife leaves. The wife, I, I'm gonna look up her name quickly. I don't feel comfortable calling her the wife. So she leaves, she gets home safe, there's a police officer. It's a very professional situation. And this is one of the first indications we get that Josh Groban does not trust his father to not kill someone. You gotta, you gotta trust that you, surely you would know that your dad wouldn't kill, my dad wouldn't kill someone. Well, no, Gary actually definitely would kill someone, but whatever. And so Josh Groban is basically like, let me talk to my dad, which by the way, this is a thing that happens pretty often. Are we sure people are allowed to investigate their parents? Like in TV, it always seems to be a thing or sometimes it seems to be a thing where like detectives have to put aside like family ties to investigate and be faithful to the case. But like the fact that that's such a storyline surely means it's not good police procedure. And so I can't imagine it in real police work being. So like, can we really use that plot line anymore? But they're using it, we have to go with it. Um, next scene, Tony Caruso's at the bar and he's telling this old police story about how he found two kids who were about to fuck but they were waiting until she was 18 because that's how old you have to be in America to fuck, apparently. And the whole group of men 
that he's telling this to are just making the most possible noise. It's so much no- like I've been to bars where people are making that much noise, and it's like groups of slightly older men. Like you go to a, just a nice little pub somewhere. It's a bit trashy. It sells kind of cheaper pints, and there are there there, there is this group of guys playing poker, and it's so annoying. But Josh Groban's there. He already knows the story. He's miming it as his dad's telling it because this is a comedy. He eventually he goes up and talks to his dad, and his dad comes out and he's not wearing any trousers because they're playing strip snooker. You know, you know how you play strip snooker with your friends during the day in a pub. You know, you know, you know how you do that in public places. It's just fine to whip off your trousers and just it's all in jest that's you know normal behavior from everyone involved so josh groban breaks the news that livingston's dead tony caruso senior makes a joke that's kind of in bad taste about him being gone and is very reasonable about the fact that he is a suspect because he apparently threatened him on the stand like in court which I think is maybe a stupid thing to do. He also says like, oh, for argument's sake, let's say it wasn't me, which I think is a funny line. It's always a funny line whenever anyone uses it. 10 out of 10, good joke. He says he heard that Livingston is broke, basically, and there might be like a personal vendetta. Then they start talking about Jack's wife and the fact that she was talking to the police today. And we hear this. Are you meet the wife? Donna. Ooh, baby. <laughs> Yeah, she's a real people pleaser, that one. Half of Brooklyn would like a ride on that pony. (laughs) 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 That little (laughs) that he gives at the end is just the funniest thing to me because that's like exactly how I would respond to that kind of sexist behaviour when I was like 12 and Josh Groban is just still doing it. Um, And also... More to the point, someone wrote that in a script. In 2018, someone was like, you know what is a really relevant take on women? That people want to ride that pony. Hell yeah, this woman's husband just died. It just is a lot. It's very awkward. The whole rest of the scene is awkward. And often that's what happens in this show is like, they do a joke, but it doesn't quite land because it's not that funny. But because they kind of know that, they just let it not land in the show as well. So, like, the audience don't get it, but also none of the other fucking characters get these jokes. And it just... There are these silences where, like, laughter should be. But no one's laughing. And I think that's quite profound. Okay, next scene and we're back at the police station. We meet the weird tech guy, Ryan. Ryan is a weird tech guy. That's literally all there is to this character. He's a bit of a fucking idiot. And we this is quite an expositional scene. A lot happens. Josh Groban uses the phrase jacked him up, which just hurts my feelings a little bit. And um, they make another sexist comment about the wife of, of Jack Livingston because she used to dance in a strip club two dead husbands ago. That's a bit of a fucking annoying fucking thing to say. Fucking fucking. It's just not great. Anyway, then we are introduced to the worst subplot of all time. Subplots are kind of meant to complement the story of the show, the like main story of the protagonist in each episode. They, they're meant to make it more impactful, like show similar struggles and how different people deal with it kind of thing. This is not that. 
This is a subplot in which Weird Tech Guy Ryan is trying out a piece of tech called the Vita Link, which tells you if you're hydrated enough by beeping when you need to drink water. And I don't quite understand how it works because it starts beeping really loudly as soon as Ryan's hydration gets below a certain point. And then he starts drinking water and it slows down and then he finishes the bottle of water and it stops, right? Why doesn't it beep slowly as you're getting hydrated? Why does it wait until you're really dehydrated and it has to sound an alarm bell? I just I just think I found a flaw in this tech that no one seems to be talking about and I don't want it to go into the market with this massive... Like, this is obviously a beta test. I just think that they could do better and I think that they should. Also, it's not a joke, even though it's meant to be funny. It makes me kind of sad. Someone send help. Oh, and help comes. It's the captain. Sexy captain with the sexy voice. I like her. She's blonde. She's in charge. She wears a great suit. And the captain takes Josh Groban's gun because it has been matched with the bullets that shot Jack Livingston. Dun, dun, dun. Also, in the background is like the biggest no smoking sign you've ever seen. And they just really want you to know that smoking is prohibited. Next scene. So this is like an interview scene. I just want to let you guys know that I'm not going to go over every scene because this episode, right, is 46 minutes and 13 seconds long. That's too long for a police procedural and it's too long for a sitcom. I'm going to just talk about the form for a second because you guys probably don't know, but I'm a bit of a writing nerd. I really like writing and I watch a lot of TV because I love TV. I think it's really cool. And I like to like really think about the form and the medium and like why they've picked it and how they're using it to like improve the story again i did a degree in english literature it it's part of who i am you just have to give into it so the reason that brooklyn 99 which is like essentially what this is copying really the one of the reasons it works so well is because it's a very short show and that works so well because it's police police procedurals need pace and so do comedies and you can't keep up the kind of pace that they have in brooklyn 99 for essentially an hour it's too much or you know three quarters of an hour it it you they it would be so difficult to do and they just haven't done it and that's why i'm not going to talk about every fucking scene because we'd be here for so long and it's the reason it feels quite slow because there are some genuinely good bits in this it just is covered in other stuff that is erroneous i don't like it let's get back to the vital link which i wrote down in my notes so i make notes while i'm watching and i wrote just boomer humor which i think is a really funny phrase that i'm gonna start applying to jokes in this series but back to the scene Josh Groban is in an interview. It looks kind of like he says, oh no, I'm going to answer all the questions rather than saying no comment or whatever. And the lawyer looks genuinely shocked, which, did they not consult beforehand? Like when I was interviewed by the police, we don't need to go into why. It's a like a right that you have to have your lawyer talk to you first so that you're on the same page. So then there's this joke about how everyone in the precinct calls Josh Groban the choir boy or Nancy Drew, which, like, is a funny bit. And then we get the phrase, he won't take a bag of chips without paying. What the fuck does that mean? Like, he won't... Is it... 
do normal people steal bags of crisps on the reg? Is uh, have I been doing this wrong my whole life? Is this like a societal expect? Is this something that people do? On- I don't understand. Is I, uh, whatever. But surprise, surprise, Josh Groban isn't really the suspect. Josh Groban's dad, Tony Caruso, is. They're talking about how this could have happened, how the bullet from Josh Groban's gun could have been used to shoot Jack Livingston. And obviously he doesn't fucking know. No one knows. Um, And Josh Groban's like, I always keep my gun with me 24 seven. And everyone's like, that's not possible. And he's like, oh no, when I say 20, I mean 24, I take it into the bathroom with me when I shower. That's psychotic. Who takes a gun into, does that not damage the gun inside? A gun's waterproof? I, d- I, I just, I don't understand. Like, I get worried bringing a book into the bath in case I drop it. Bringing a gun into the bath is like a whole new level. I don't, I don't know what to do with the information that is provided here. And Brian, the lovely lawyer, is sticking up for Josh Groban, calling him the choir boy. You know, like good friends do. Oh, and then we have this scene that is literally one second in which Burrell is looking at a, like a board with, like where they would put all the evidence and shit on a board, like a big old blackboard. And he just says, help me, Rhonda. That's the whole scene. I do, that's just filler. Like that does not, ugh, get, get better. Do better, you guys. And then we have this emotional scene by a lift where detective vasquez or whatever cora let's call her cora because i can't remember her rank needs reassurance from josh groban that josh groban's dad didn't kill anyone that's literally all that happens and then at the end she like has a distressed hair moment where she like runs her fingers through her hair and it is very sexy but it's also like very uncomfortable to watch because it just isn't something that anyone does but that's the director's fault not hers i stan let's move on the next scene is a like weird change of mood father and son are both by a lamp post and tony jr changes the flowers at the lamp post because it's where um connie caruso was abducted from four years ago they color graded it really blue like the rest of the, the scenes are not that blue but that one seems to be really blue and i don't i don't know i am colorblind but to me it seems very blue so if you have watched this which i i assume you haven't yeah just be prepared for how color graded blue it is that's not what's important what's important is that this is my family moment and that's what we should have talked about oh and also this is again it's inferred that tony caruso senior has killed people and had people killed i why is no one uh, what that's not fine that's really not like he only got seven years in prison if he's killed people he should be getting a lot more than that and he's in we're talking people plural as well i just the whole it's really skated over the fact that this man like might have done hits for the mafia but like because he's done seven years in prison and now works like has to interview for work at a lumber yard everything's fine that doesn't seem fine anyway that's that's what's happening in that scene we move on and i'm gonna tell you about the next scene um and i'm just gonna play it so it's at the police station and it's the Vitalink subplot again it starts going off ryan can't make it stop by drinking so he just puts it into like a fish tank that they have because apparently you're allowed fish at work and that's that's the scene it's just that's the bit
Okay, he puts it in the fish bowl. What? What? Like, that's genius. But that's also the fucking dumbest thing that's ever happened. Okay, just so you guys know, we're only about halfway through this, so I'm gonna speed it the fuck up. I think I'm suddenly talking loud. I, I went and had a baked potato for dinner. Um, because th that's how long this is. Next scene. We're still at the office. It's late at night. Detective Caruso's there. So is Detective Vasquez. She's brought wine. God, she's perfect. She wants to be a detective, but mainly she's just there to establish that he also has sexual impulses, so is a man, and is sad because his dad is bad. Ah, Bad dad. There is a moment in which she says, I bet you don't even pee in the shower, talking about like how good he is as a person, not whatever. Um, and he says, would you like me to pee in the shower? Would that make you happy? She says, I might. And then they laugh weirdly for such a long time. And it like, is too, that's too much. Like, that's, that's so out of character for both of these people. Does, does, does the writer not know what flirting said? Or did they just need to be really fucking on the nose with it? But that's basically it. The scene's just there to establish that he's sad and take up some time. Next scene um, is back home. Tony and Tony are talking. They're having some Tony Tony time. And um, they have a lovely hug good night before they go to bed. But oh no, really, he's checking in for a wire. Tony is checking Tony for a wire, in case you were confused. Um, which is exactly the scene in I, Tonya, but the opposite way round. And he's even called Tony, which is quite close to Tonya, but... Tony Caruso Sr. is the worst mob boss of all time because he doesn't even... That's the only way he can tell if... Oh, I don't even know. It's just tiring, isn't it, you guys? Um, so then the next scene, we're at, I literally wrote in my notes, oh my god, this episode goes on forever. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Next scene, we're at the funeral, Jack Livingston's funeral. There's an angry fucking dog that has an amazing jacket on and hates Josh Groban. No one thinks that Josh Groban should be there because his father is suspected of killing the man that they're burying. But for some reason, he thought it would be a good idea to show up. I've written down the captain is speaking the fucking truth and I don't know what she's saying. Oh yeah, so the captain is having a quiet conversation with Burrell, speaking some fucking facts about the fact that if Tony Caruso Sr. was actually going to shoot someone, he wouldn't use his fucking son's gun that could be easily traced back to him. Like, he's meant to be this mob boss, this great guy. Or at least we've heard that. We haven't seen it in his actions so much, but... Um, yeah, she's just, again, speaking truth, living her best life, looking great in a uniform. I love her. It's great. And then we're still at the fucking funeral, and there's a man scratching his leg. Oh my god, it's the poison oak from earlier. Did I tell you there was poison oak earlier? I... I don't think I did, but anyway. Um, oh, and the dog likes him as well, so he's been to the house before. He's obviously guilty, and it becomes so clear that he's guilty when the next scene is this random police officer and Paula from Legally Blonde fucking. 
<laughs> she does she is so loud like there are people downstairs they're in the bedroom there are people downstairs it's a funeral they're not exactly going to be pumping tunes like people are going to notice and i'll be honest with you if there's a full house of people downstairs, even if it's not a fucking wake for your husband, if you've got guests in your house, you can't be popping round back for a quickie. You've got to be on that shit. You need snacks, you need tea, you need to remember what people do for a living. Hosting is important, and I expected better from her. So Josh Groban knocks on the door because he's noticed them sneaking upstairs together because they are not very subtle about it. In a house full of police sergeants and detectives and officers and shit. And he's, like, very aware that they're fucking... You think that's where the scene is going to end, right? But Burrell runs up the stairs and he's all out of breath. And you know Burrell doesn't run because he said so earlier. I think he actually said Burrell doesn't walk. But, um... So he comes up the stairs and he's like, You have to go. Your dad has just confessed to murdering Jack Livingston. So... On that bombshell, we move to the jail where Tony Caruso Sr. is smoking a cigar. He's listens to Bossa Nova, apparently, which I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't think anyone knows what that is. Um, but basically, it comes about through this conversation between Tony Caruso and Tony Caruso that Tony Caruso only admitted to doing it because he thought Tony Caruso was guilty of doing it. And he wanted to protect his son, Tony Caruso, because he loves his son, Tony Caruso. They swear on a picture and Josh Groban is like, no, I didn't, I didn't even do it. It wasn't me. It was this police officer and the wife, like you said, it would be. And I just, I don't know why Tony Caruso would think Tony Caruso would done it. Like, he is the most straight edge guy around. How would you not be like, as a mobster, as someone that's like used to committing crimes and getting away with it, how is he not like, oh, this is a setup? Why does he think that his cookie-cutter son that loves dry toast and was sad that his dad didn't spend more time with him as a Boy Scout would go off and fucking kill someone or, as Josh Groban would say, jack him up? It has very different connotations in the gay community. So someone's watching him from the car because, I don't know, he's just being surveilled. He's under threat. We get it. In the next scene, he... Josh Groban is eating a pizza, but he didn't order olives. And he takes the olives off, and then he's looking at the olives and thinking about the crime, and bang, the pattern is the pattern. It's a, like a, a triangle? So the next scene, we're in the car. Cora's there because they're going on a mission together, and Tony Caruso Jr.'s figured it all out because he saw the wife fucking the police. Like, it's not that hard to figure out from there. He uses the phrase jacked up again which come on we need to move past this we need to move past this phrase it's it's done gretchen stop trying to make fetch happen it's not going to happen so during this car ride josh groban basically explains exactly what happened and what happens is that they killed him they jacked him up um and then the police officer and donna lee who is or was married to <laughs> shitting fuck this is complicated basically they killed jack livingston and then hung him up in the firing range where they knew Josh Groban would be shooting, Josh Groban shot him through the targets. Like, no one noticed. Surely that would have scratched the, the, the going through the wood would have scratched the bullets so they couldn't be traced back to, to Josh Groban. Or like, there would be so many scratch marks, someone would be like, 
like it looks like it's gone through something else. Oh, so the reason... So he gets all these olives and he puts them in place, right? And he realises that he recognises... He recognised the pattern of the shots. Because he's so good at shooting that not only is he focused on hitting the target, but he hits it in a pattern. And that pattern is Ursa Minor, (laughs) which is a constellation. And so we're on to the next scene. It's definitely the firing range office. Cora is drinking a bottle of water like an actual twat and it's very like loud and crunchy and she puts it down on the shelf and Josh Groban picks it up to recycle it. Hell yeah. They find um, the target that Josh Groban shot and it has the same pattern. It's definitely right. This is incontrovertible evidence, but they need to come back with a warrant. Apparently they're doing something illegal. But like, A, surely at this point their fingerprints are on it. They're definitely not wearing gloves. Two, Josh Groban's meant to hate doing illegal stuff and he's just broken in somewhere. It just, it's it's a bit of a far-fetched situation, but they needed it to happen so they could have the next action scene, which is what happens next, because guess what? The owner of the shooting range or whatever is there. He's a murderer. He's holding a gun at them, obviously, because he, and they like run and they run through the the course that we see Josh Groban doing at the beginning. Josh Groban's like, give me your gun because Cora brought her gun with her because she's clever. Josh Groban didn't because he doesn't have one at the moment. And he looks in it and there's one round left. So he needs to make it count. And he stands up and he pulls the trigger and it doesn't shoot. It's out of bullets, right? This murderer's like, (laughs) takes himself, like makes himself the biggest target he can. And then Josh Groban's like, bang, shoots him, done. The way we are meant to think he's tricked the murderer into thinking he was out of ammo was the water bottle that Cora had been drinking and making the weird sound with. That's what we're meant to think tricked. Like, they don't sound... Even the audio doesn't sound that similar. And he's doing it in his pocket. Surely someone... Surely it... I did the whole thing. (laughs) It's all just very convenient. But they got the murderer, everything's fine. He's off the hook. Tony Caruso Sr. in the next scene gets out of jail because apparently it's he hasn't committed another crime. Like, I think, I think he probably, like lying to the police is definitely a crime. So well, how is he just gonna get out being fine without, it just, again, they just they're picking and choosing the bits of reality the bits of reality that they want but it's the final scene and the caruso boys are back together and they're at the red light again and josh groban says let me give it a minute and there you go it's the end of the episode good job everyone if you're still listening you got through it i got through it hopefully this makes sense um thank you for listening final thought for you guys I guess buckle up because there's 10 episodes of this shit and I'm obsessed it makes sense if you know my mother (laughs) 